1: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We've got a crazy week in the football world coming up. We've got conference championships in college, four playoff spots on the line in one weekend, and we have the game of the year in the pros between San Francisco and Philadelphia. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for this big weekend in football. If you use our promo code Believe that's B L E A V. When you make your first deposit with the link in the description of this episode, you can get a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit, and you can use that 50% welcome bonus however you so choose. Maybe Washington's going to win the final Pac-12 championship. Maybe Alabama's going to upset Georgia. Maybe you're taking Philadelphia minus 3.5 against San Francisco. Once you make that deposit, your 50% welcome bonus is available however and whenever you so choose. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fan tabulous episode of the Take It. Easy podcast, alive on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen, however, and whenever it is that you so choose. And we greatly appreciate that you have decided to stop in, however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. Welcome to NFL Monday for week number 12 and a half. It's 12 in the NFL. It's 13 in college football. This has been the biggest weekend of the college and pro season so far. We had rivalry week in college football. We had Washington come within a field goal from throwing away a playoff spot. We had Florida State looking like they were going to throw away a playoff spot at the end. We had a quarterfinal playoff game between Ohio State and Michigan. It was crazy. And then we got to the NFL weekend and we had so much craziness going on in the NFL. Kansas City fixed their offense in the second half of games with a get-right game against the Raiders. The Rams ran rough shot over the Arizona Cardinals. Uh Tommy DeVito has as many wins as Daniel Jones. There's so much stuff going on that we are going to get to here on the show. The the topics that I want to break down. Uh the Pittsburgh Steelers firing Matt Canada and immediately fixing all of their offensive woes of the past three seasons. I want to get into that. There's So much to get to here on today's show. And the place I'm going to start off, and it feels kind of insane to start off in this place, but I'm going to start off with the goddamn Texans against the Jaguars. After years of jokes about the AFC South, after talking about how the AFC South is a pyramid scheme, years and years and years of jokes, I want to start off What might be the most chaotic weekend in all of football? The Denver Broncos have won five consecutive football games. The Saints and Falcons are tied for the NFC South lead at five and six. There's so much stuff that went on this week. The entire Bills and Eagles game, I haven't even mentioned that. We got to talk about what happened at the end of Bills and Eagles. There's so much shit that went down this week, and I want to start off with Texans-Jaguars. It's the thing that's been burning a hole in my mind after everything we watched this weekend in college football and the pros. I want to talk about the damn Jaguars and Texans because that football game to essentially decide the the AFC South for all intents and purposes, because if the Texans had won that football game, the Texans would have been seven and four. The Jaguars would have been seven and four. They both had roughly the same strength of schedule the rest of the way they would have been tied at 7-4 and four, and the Texans would have had both wins on the season against Jacksonville. And with one play, one kick at the end of a tightly contested football game, the Jaguars and the Texans played what I think was the game of the weekend. And by the way, it was going on in a morning block on Sunday in which there were six games being played at the same time. Six games were in the morning block. And as of Seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter of those six games, 12 teams playing, not a single one had scored as many points as the San Francisco 49ers did in the first half against the Seahawks on Thursday. None of the 12 teams. The Falcons couldn't score to save their lives, but fortunately the Saints had zero touchdowns in the game. The Saints, like, threw an interception pick six in the red zone. Taysom Hill fumbled the ball in the red zone. They kicked five field goals. Like, the Saints' offense is going back to being the New Orleans Camaras again. And it's dumb that they're back to being the New Orleans Camaras because Chris Olave was awesome in the first half, but the Saints are back to being the New Orleans Camaras with Derek Carr as their interchangeable quarterback to, to add to a list of interchangeable quarterbacks they've had since Drew Brees left. So the Saints and Falcons, nobody got to the point totals of... No one got to the point totals of the Saints... Or, sorry, no one got to the point totals of the 49ers' first half total on Thanksgiving until the very end when Bijan Robinson gets the touchdown that puts the game away. Uh, Carolina and Tennessee, sad performance by Bryce Young. It was a really sad two-minute drill where they threw a screen pass on fourth and six, and that was the end of the football game. Sorry, Carolina, you lose that game. Giants-Patriots, 10-7, missed a field goal at the end of the game, whatever. you know, It was absolutely just awful football. Um, none of the games were able to get to 24 points by anyone playing, and Texans and Jaguars was... Back and forth. It wasn't like a shootout high scoring game because the Jaguars and the Texans were both, you know, having these elongated drives that went down the field, kicking field goals at the end. The Jaguars went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. At the end of the half, the Jaguars had the ball at the one yard line in a 13 7 game with one second to play in the half. And they decided to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. And when they went for it, they didn't get the points. And they essentially exchanged, you know, it's kind of the the coin flip. You can get seven points or you can get zero points instead of taking the guaranteed three. I would have thought for sure they would have taken the guaranteed three down at the one-yard line, and the Jaguars ended up going for it. They didn't get it. That took points off the board for Jacksonville. They were up 24-14 to 14 at one point, and then the Texans went down the field and scored a touchdown. Then Jacksonville had to punt the ball back to Houston at the end of the game, and then for like the seventh consecutive week, you had C.J. Stroud in a one-score game, going down to win for the Houston Texans most of the time he wins sometimes he loses sometimes he scores the game-winning touchdown after Baker Mayfield just led a game-winning touchdown but it seems like CJ Stroud and the Texans have that like Falcons uh Vikings Chargers energy this year where like they're always in a one-score game at the very end except these one score games are always really exciting because CJ Stroud is doing really exciting things in these one score games like for example when the when the Houston Texans are, are 24 to 21 and they're trailing, there's two minutes to go and CJ Stroud has the football. CJ Stroud completed a pass up to I think the Jacksonville 43 yard line. I had the box score in front of me or the play by play in front of me a second ago. Moves the ball into Jacksonville, to, uh, moves the ball right to midfield, then takes a 15 yard sack from defense Josh Allen, who, by the way, I think has double digit sacks this season. He's been amazing. But defense Josh Allen gets a 15 yard sack on CJ Stroud. Which is one of those things that you just cannot do in that situation. Like, it was, he's in the pocket, so he can't throw it away. He didn't roll out to buy time like a quarterback in such a situation might. He just took what is, under most cases and circumstances, a game-ending sack. Second and 25 against a competent defense with a minute to play. And C.J. Stroud then completed a 14-yard pass to Nico Collins... And then completed another pass to, I believe it was Brevin Jordan. Back-to-back, 2nd and 25 becomes 3rd and uh, 11, and 3rd and 11 becomes 1st down on back-to-back plays... And it was incredible to watch happen in real time that he was able to buy time, create in the middle of the field, the way that we're used to seeing Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes do at the end of games, where you're surprised that a receiver has gotten that open in the middle of the field when you know that they need 10 to 15 yards to convert. It was an incredible turnaround from taking the 15-yard sack to a 14-yard completion to getting back to third and and manageable, and then converting the third and long in order to get them into field goal range. It was incredible to watch that happen in real time. And then the Texans took, I think it was a penalty on them that backed him up to first and 20, and then it was third and 12, and then Stroud was rolling to his left and had to like But like, just as time is running out, just try and chuck the ball in the middle of the field and it didn't work out. But it was incredible to watch in real time as CJ Stroud tried to buy himself uh, that that play and that time that would have just gotten them an inch closer to winning the game. And then, of course, we know how it ends with the the backup kicker because Kaimi Fairbairn is out for season. They bring in Matt Amendola, who they said specifically on the broadcast was on his couch a few weeks ago in Philadelphia, getting the call from the the Houston Texans, being their kicker. He's never made a kick longer than 56 yards in his high school, college, or pro career. He gets a 58-yard kick. He puts it up. If it was two yards further, the kick goes in. Instead, it hits the crossbar, the crossbar, and goes out, and the Texans lose, and now the Jaguars... Win the, AFC, uh, win the AFC South, and they're the number one seed for, like, two and a half hours. But that whole game was so interesting and so unique because you had the stakes of you knew the division was on the line. You knew that both of these teams looked pretty damn decent this year. Like, the Jaguars have an above-average defense, and the Texans have a below-average defense. But both of those offenses were able to move the ball up and down as close as we're going to get to, like, a 35-35 shootout in 2023 NFL standards. Like, the drives were long, and the pass rushes were getting to the quarterbacks pretty consistently. Like, I think Lawrence was under pressure on, like, 25% of his snaps, which is an above-average number. Uh, C.J. Stroud was under pressure at a higher clip than that. Offensive line could have done more to support Stroud during the game, but it was still really close at the end. Like, there was so much that the Jaguars were doing and so much that um the so much that the the Texans were playing from behind but it seemed like the Texans were better in a play from behind situation offensively cuz it opened up the offense and they were creating space in the middle of the field like you don't see from 20 of the 32 offenses in the NFL, but it was refreshing to watch the Texans who you knew had the quarterback and you knew had the receivers to create space in the middle of the field and to watch them work and to watch them move down the field on consecutive drives to put themselves in a position to go to overtime against a Jaguars team that had outplayed them for most of the game. It was really fun to watch and it was the biggest takeaway I had of a weekend that again included Ohio State-Michigan. Buffalo, Philadelphia, Kansas City's offense getting fixed against the Raiders. There was so much good stuff going on, and Texans-Jaguars was the thing that I wanted to come in. Maybe I've memed myself into caring about the Texans, because I made the joke, watching the Texans feels like watching the Minnesota Vikings at the end of every game playing with Justin Herbert as their quarterback. Like, like, what if we took the Vikings always down one-score energy and then added a quarterback that was able to create plays in the middle of the field at a higher clip than Kirk Cousins is able to. It was just so cool to watch that happen in real time that we know C.J. Stroud is that special quarterback. He's going to be the starter for the Texans for the next 10 years and was able to create a first down on two plays after falling on a 15-yard sack and was able to get them in territory to try and force overtime against a defense that stood up really well. Jacksonville's defense stood up really well even in the face of the Texans mounting one of their, like, seven comebacks they've had this season. And it was just really cool to watch in real time. So Texans-Jaguars was the game that I was burning, burning to grab these microphones to sit down, and to analyze. I feel weird about doing it, but the AFC South has been interesting for the first, has been deeply, deeply interesting to me for the first time since, like, Ryan Tannehill took over as the Titans quarterback in our first year of doing this podcast. That's the last time the AFC South has gotten me excited about anything like the Texans and Jaguars did for me today. It was four years ago. Four years ago was the last time I've ever been this excited about anything in the AFC South, and it's leading off the show after a week in which we had like six things that would have let off a show three weeks ago. Texans and Jaguars, game of the weekend in the biggest weekend of the season.
0: You throw a fourth TD On a dime you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins Josh Allen gets Bills the wins You want to play the Chiefs And to beat Andy Reid and his schemes Avenging your past mistakes And take the Bills to the big game Three years, I thought you was phony Got digs, then you flipped it on me I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie It's hard for teams to deny it When Allen beats double safeties You keep losing to Mahomes Sitting on the bench 13 to go Overtime coin flips turned up wrong Makes your season seem so marginal And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I want to run the ball, don't want to slide, I just want to dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I want to run the ball, don't want to slide, I'm just going to dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins Josh Allen gets Bills the wins You want to play the Chiefs And to beat Andy Reid in his schemes Avenging your past mistakes And take the Bills to the big game
1: All right, let's talk about those Buffalo Bills, a parody song that I don't think rings true anymore. I mean, 2023 being their year to get the the Super Bowl, I don't think that's going to happen anymore for Buffalo. The the disappointment is real. Maybe we need a new team to serenade with a parody song. I mean, shit, the Philadelphia Eagles, since we made that Buffalo Bills parody song, have lost like two regular season games with Jalen Hurts. I mean, maybe the Philadelphia Eagles are the team that's the new number two in the NFL, chasing after that Patrick Mahomes, who has prevented a bunch of different teams from winning championships. So Buffalo is down bad. Bills are 6-6. Six and six. They've got a knack for losing games. Just before we dive into like some of the X's and O's analysis of this game, I just kind of want to go through the, the drive-by-drive results of this game, because... Lest you forget, when there was a minute to go in the first half of this game, we had played twenty-nine minutes of football, and this game was ten to seven between Buffalo and Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts was two for nine with nineteen passing yards, an interception, and a fumble between him and uh uh, Kenneth Gainwell on the handoff And after Jalen Hurts Fumbled that football Right at the end of the first half When it was 10-7 to 7, And the Eagles were playing Like absolute Crap Here's what the drive summaries were For the remainder of that game Buffalo touchdown Eagles punt Buffalo missed field goal which was a super entertaining drive but missed field goal 17 to 7 is the score Eagles touchdown Bills touchdown Eagles touchdown Josh Allen interception Eagles touchdown now it's 28 to 24 Philadelphia over Buffalo Buffalo punt Eagles three and out Buffalo Five-minute drive to go score a touchdown to Gabe Davis, 31-28. Eagles 59-yard field goal. Buffalo field goal in overtime. Eagles touchdown. Touchdown, punt, missed field goal. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Interception, touchdown. Punt, punt. Buffalo touchdown. Eagles field goal. Go to overtime. Buffalo field goal. Eagles touchdown. Game over. Just... Marvelous football. Truly, truly marvelous football. Jalen Hurts went from being two for nine for nine yards or for nineteen yards and one interception and one fumble. You know what he did the rest of the game? Jalen Hurts from that point forward went sixteen for twenty-two, hundred and eighty-nine yards, which honestly isn't that impressive. Factor in sixty rushing yards. Five total touchdowns, three passing, two rushing. Jalen Hurts was awesome. The Eagles were awesome. Jason Kelsey had two false start penalties in the final minute of the game, despite the fact he had one total penalty the entire rest of the season up to that point. Jason Kelsey had two false start penalties in the last minute, and all that that did was create greater drama for the 59 yard field goal that Jake Elliott would bang home, who, like, quietly has been one of the best deep kickers in the NFL for, like, five years now. Like, quiet as it's kept, it's hard to find a team that has been consistently great in the NFL that has a bad kicker. Most of them have really good kickers. Like, Butker for Kansas City is always making those late-game kicks. Jake Elliott is always making 60-yard field goals. I mean, you could point to um, Jason Sanders with the Dolphins. Like, Quietly has been the Dolphins kicker for a decade now. But like, quiet as it's kept, you always have the kickers who come through at the end. Kick Jagger over there in Cincinnati, McPherson, made two deep playoff runs and won like four playoff games for the Bengals on kicks. Like, rare is the team that is great that also doesn't have at least an above-average NFL kicker, and Jake Elliott is literally the difference between winning and losing for the Eagles, and Tyler Bass missing two field goals is the difference between Buffalo winning and Buffalo losing. And, of course, Gabe Davis on on a choice route choosing to go left when Josh Allen thought he was going to go right because there was no one in the middle of the field, and it was probably on Gabe Davis that they didn't score that touchdown and keep Philadelphia from possessing the ball in overtime. Okay, the game was awesome. It was truly, truly awesome. Jalen Hurts played like shit in the first half, and he had four total touchdowns in the second half. Salvaged what was on and pace to be one of the worst games Jalen Hurts has played of his entire NFL career. And the kicker had an awesome made field goal, and we had drama, and we had scoring, and when we didn't have scoring, we had turnovers, and when we didn't have turnovers, we had missed field goals, and we had game-winning touchdowns and wrong routes, and it was just a truly, truly, truly excellent football game. Okay, want to put that out there first and foremost. It was a truly fun football game to watch. Buffalo and Philadelphia was marvelous. Chef's kiss four and a half maybe a five star sporting event our our five star grade for sporting events is stakes storylines drama entertainment and action at the end i guess it would be action entertainment and drama at the end and this game had all of that because for buffalo their dvoa rankings right now are what is it come uh going into the week sorry not as of right now They were fifth in total DVOA coming into this week. They had the third-ranked offense in the NFL after firing their offensive coordinator. They had the third-ranked offense in the NFL coming into this week. They put up 31 points in regulation against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Buffalo Bills right now are 7th in SRS ranking, 7th in expected win-loss record, the Buffalo Bills are somewhere between a top five and a top eight football team in the NFL, and they're 10th place in the AFC. All of the advanced numbers tell you Buffalo is one of the top eight teams in the NFL by every advanced metric. Some will say top five, some will say top seven. Basically, every advanced metric says they are a top eight football team in the NFL. And they're not even top eight in the standings in the AFC. They just have this knack for losing stupid ass football games in stupid ass ways. And it's frustrating if you're someone who leans on that and believes, one, that Buffalo is a really good team, but two, that like Buffalo has a legitimate chance to beat any of these teams in the AFC playoff picture right now. And look, we're going to do the Mixies on Thursday. The Mixies are our annual celebration that is kind of mocking, but also not mocking how basically teams 9 through 24 in the NFL all have a chance to make the playoffs. And in the AFC, it's on some bullshit this year. Because the Buffalo Bills at 6-6 six and six who would be winning the NFC South are 10th place in the AFC right now. And the Buffalo Bills have lost some truly, truly stupid football games. The Jets returning a kick, uh, an opening night, returning a punt back for a touchdown to win the game. The game against Cincinnati, where they lose at the very end. The Denver game on Monday Night Football, where the game-winning field goal is no good, but they had 12 men on the field, and the kick goes in, and now Denver is fucking 6-5, despite the fact that the Denver Broncos are a bad football team. Okay, the Denver Broncos are a bad football team, and yet they've now won five games in a row, and they have the same record as the Buffalo Bills, and they just might fuck around and get a meaningless seventh playoff seed that will totally invalidate all of the points we had about Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos prior to this game. In DVO, uh, or sorry, in SRS ranking, the Denver Broncos currently are, I know this is taking a side tangent to Denver, but I just... Need to prove a point that Denver is 26th, 26th in SRS ranking. In expected win-loss record. They are 25th in the NFL. And somehow they have the same goddamn record as the Buffalo Bills. They have a better record than the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo's six and six. Denver is six and five. And look, it's gotta be damn infuriating if you root for Buffalo, and they've pissed away so many of these games that they clearly deserve to win. They clearly deserve to beat the Jets, but Josh Allen threw four turnovers and they went and they still went to overtime. Still went to overtime. Despite Josh Allen throwing four turnovers or you know, three picks and a fumble. Having four turnovers against the Jets. Despite the fact that they pissed away the Denver game, they still should have won on the missed field goal at the end of the game by Will Lutz. And they still should have beaten the Philadelphia Eagles because they thoroughly outplayed them throughout the game despite the fact that they missed two field goals, Josh Allen threw a pick in a three-point game in the fourth quarter, and that Gabe Davis ran the wrong route at the end of the game. They still should have beaten Philadelphia because they outplayed Philadelphia for like three and a half quarters of that football game. And that's got to be damn infuriating if you root for Buffalo because of how much hope there was around this team. We've already done the conversation time and time again about how they haven't drafted a Pro Bowler since the 2018 draft class. Which is technically not true anymore because uh, Ed Oliver made a Pro Bowl as an alternate in tw- uh, last year. But they haven't really drafted all that well in the last five years. They've lost on some weird game management decisions and, and just weird ways to lose football games. And Josh Allen has not been enabled. By, ha, Josh Allen is not perfect, but Josh Allen also should be good enough as as they're proving with a top half offense and a defense. Or sorry, with a top five offense and a defense that coming into this week was ranked 15th and did a pretty good job of slowing down the Eagles. I know the defense has a whole bunch of injuries, and Matt Milano being out for season and Tredavious White being hurt has been a problem for them. But, like, Leonard Floyd has been an excellent pickup. Von Miller is still one of the better edge rushers in the NFL. I mentioned Ed Oliver. He's been excellent. Like, the defense is not as good as the defense from two and three years ago, but still a really damn good defense. They still, despite all of that, find themselves at 6 and 6. And that, again, that's got to be so damn infuriating when you know this team is really good that they just can't get the wins to even get a shot at one of these teams, like even get a puncher's chance in a playoff game. Cuz like Buffalo was going to probably even with their best lose the AFC East this year. The Dolphins are just that good of a team. Buffalo and Miami are very evenly matched, but I mean, even if you flip the Denver result in their favor, even if you flip this win against the Eagles, and even if you flip the victory against the Jets in Week 1, if you flip all three of those results, they have the same record as the Dolphins. And right now they have a tiebreaker over Miami, but they were going to have to play Week 18 at Miami to potentially determine who wins that division. So like even under the best of circumstances, I'm not saying Buffalo is even better than the current Miami team as it's presently constructed, but as it stands right now, they're not even going to get to play Miami in the playoffs because they might not even make the playoffs because we're all going to be forced to watch God forsaken Denver as the seventh seed in the AFC or God forsaken Indianapolis as the seventh seed or the damn Cleveland Browns as the damn seventh seed. Which honestly, Cleveland might be too good for at this point, but the point still stands. Like, Buffalo missing the playoffs would be absolutely catastrophic because this team would be one of the best teams to miss the playoffs in the entire, at least the entire four year, five year history of this podcast. In the last half decade, this would be the most shocking team to miss the playoffs in all of the NFL. And Buffalo has a top 5 offense and time and time again they've shown top 5 offensive production. And the thing that sucks is like there's not really room for recourse at this point. Like the reason Buffalo is losing these games is like dumb things like you can you can only do but so much moving off of Gabe Davis. Like Moving off of Gabe Davis doesn't change the trajectory of this team, and Gabe Davis's contract is up at the end of the season. I would assume he's not coming back because he got eight targets in the previous three games, and the game he played this week, he had the go-ahead touchdown, but he also lost the touchdown in overtime that would have sealed the game again. But, like, you can only do but so much of move off of Gabe Davis. Like, the job Sean McDermott has done might merit firing, but I don't think they're going to be able to find better than what Sean McDermott presently gives them. Like, Juju and I talked about this, and he'll join us later in the week to talk about how the godforsaken Steelers fired Matt Canada, and it just solved all their offensive woes. But, like, the Buffalo Bills are in a position where their defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, is retired. They just fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, and they're going to have to make new coordinator hires. Potentially, they're going to fire Sean McDermott, which I don't think solves any of their problems. Like, getting a new voice in there admits that we've made so many mistakes that we got to start this thing over, when the problem has been talent evaluation, particularly in the draft, and Josh Allen not playing up to the, the the level of play that he was at two years ago. Like, the the problem for them is not... I mean, yes, they've lost in some weird ways, but I don't even chalk up this loss to coaching. Like, they missed two field goals, and they, they missed two field goals, and they missed a, a route with Gabe Davis at the end of this game. Like, Buffalo in the game against Denver lost because, again, Josh Allen got into turnover trouble... And the defense couldn't get strategic stops at strategic moments. Like, you can say that the 12 men on the field is a fireable offense for McDermott, but that's—one of those mess-ups is not cause enough to fire your coach. There has to be some underlying issue beyond that. And that's why I don't know what the recourse is for Buffalo right now. Like, the biggest problem for them, even if all of these things worked out well for them, is that they they are equally as good as Miami, And equally as good as Miami is not going to be good enough to get you over Kansas City. But the problem for them now is that they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Like, they already have six losses on the season now. And a schedule coming up that includes Kansas City after a bye week. Which, in fairness, they could totally win that game. But they got Kansas City, the Cowboys at home, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. Like, that is... Two and two, ideally, but by that point, they have eight losses, and nine and eight ain't going to get you in the playoffs in the AFC. It'll get you a tiebreaker, maybe, but nine and eight ain't going to guarantee you a playoff spot this year. And Buffalo has just dropped so many of these games, and it's got to be so frustrating because we've been joking for weeks that they are this. They, this is the team that they are. This is the team that. They are a top 5-8 to eight team in the NFL that happens to be pissing away enough of these games that they're going to lose out on their playoff berth or wild card or home field advantage or whatever you want to point to, which by the way was the exact same problem they had last year when they were two games better on paper than any other team in the NFL. The best regular season team in the league last year. And they pissed away the competitive advantage that they had. And, of course, I'm talking about before everything happened with Demar Hamlin. Like, like, in November and December, they pissed away the lead that they had in that AFC. They should have been the number one seed with a smoking gun, and they should have had a home playoff game against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. Would they have lost that game? Probably. But they should have had a home playoff game against Kansas City last year. That was the best Buffalo Bills team that they had, and they pissed it away. Not getting home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs, losing at home to Cincinnati before they ever got a crack at Kansas City— Last year's team was the best version they had. This year's team is in that tier two. They're not the Eagles. They're not Kansas City. But as we just saw today, they can beat the Eagles on any given day. As we're about to see in two weeks, they'll probably go into Kansas City and give Kansas City a run for their money. I know Kansas City fixed their second-half offensive woes in a get-right game against the Raiders, but like Kansas City... Against Buffalo, with Buffalo coming off of a bye week, that's a winnable game for Buffalo. And so Buffalo's just in this purgatory now where they should be winning these games. They've lost on some heartbreakers. And the, the only recourse is like, hey, they're a really good team that's also somehow going to miss the playoffs. As a byproduct of like the AFC having a super. The, the AFC having no teams that are really bad other than the Patriots. Even the Titans are like not like the Titans are one of the worst teams in the league, but they're also like better than five or six of the NFC teams. Like in the NFC, I saw that in the hunt graphic, and they had like four and seven Tampa in the in the hunt graphic. And I saw Tennessee beat the or I saw Tampa Bay beat the shit out of Tennessee. But, ten, but Tampa Bay is still technically in the hunt at 4 and 7 in that godforsaken conference and that godforsaken division where 5 and 6 gets the Falcons in the playoffs right now. And so it's just really interesting to in real time watch Buffalo lose that competitive advantage that they had. When we made that parody song last October, 13 months ago, they had the number 1 team in football, the number 1 record in football. They were the best team in the league by every advanced metric and they pissed away the lead they've had and they've pissed away these close games and there's not really much of a recourse for improvement because these losses are have come for a variety of different reasons it's not i mean they've already fired a coordinator they've already fired two coordinators cuz Leslie Frazier retired and they just fired Ken Dorsey both their coordinators are gone they don't really have much of a recourse for improvement and so buffalo's just kind of Throwing our hands up, I mean, like, from an evaluation standpoint, just throwing your hands up and saying, this is going to be one of the best eight teams in football, very much capable of making the the same spot they made last year, which is the third place in the AFC, very capable of being the third best team in the AFC, maybe fuck around and make an AFC championship game, but they're definitely capable of making it as far as they did last year, of losing a, a divisional playoff game, and... And they're going to miss the playoffs. A team not quite as good as last year's team, but still one of the five to eight best teams in the league, is just straight up going to miss the playoffs. And I don't think we've been able to say that in the five years that we've done this podcast. The closest thing I can point to, the closest thing we've had to a team that good missing the playoffs was 2021 Baltimore. But it was easy to explain why 2021 Baltimore missed the playoffs. They were 10-2, first place in the AFC. They missed on two two-point conversions that would have flipped their record to, to, um, to I think, 11-1 and at that point. And then Lamar Jackson got hurt, missed the last five games of the season. They went 0-5, and they missed the playoffs. Like, it was super easy to see. They were very good before, and because of Lamar Jackson getting hurt and missing on two two-point conversions that would have beat the Steelers... Baltimore missed the playoffs and they got Kyle Hamilton as a prize for it, but they missed the playoffs like that one was easy to explain. This one's not easy to explain because there's not a quick fix. Baltimore's fix was we got to get a new offensive coordinator and we got to get a new defensive coordinator just like Buffalo. But their easy fix was just like, hey, we can explain this away by Lamar Jackson getting hurt and a handful of other injuries. Buffalo can't explain this one away just on injuries. Like, if they miss the playoffs this year, which it's looking very very more likely like it could happen, that one can't just be explained away the same way Baltimore was a couple years ago. And that is why I think this might be the best team we've seen miss the playoffs in the last half decade at least. Maybe we'll go back to like the 2012 Chargers who were number one in offensive rating and number two in defensive rating and somehow missed the playoffs. But like this is probably the best team in at least the. this is for sure the best team in the last half decade that has missed the playoffs. It might be the best team going further beyond that. And that's just really crazy to think about in real time for this Buffalo Bills team with that quarterback and the team that they've put forth on paper and in performance in most of their games so far this season. All right, it is time for us to award the Week 12 Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, an award handed out weekly to the team who found themselves down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field. Now, after all of the Thursday and Black Friday and Sunday games that we've watched, there was no true Kirk Cousins Purgatory situation, and I will acknowledge that part of that might be that the Vikings and Bears play on Monday Night Football. So maybe, just maybe, Josh Dobbs... Or Justin Fields will find themselves down six no timeouts with one minute to play and needing to go 80 yards. But for the time being, I'm going to give it to Bryce Young. In what was the worst game of the NFL calendar in a world where the Patriots and Giants didn't exist, just going 10-7 up and down the field, Bailey Zappi leading a sad two-minute drill that ended with a shanked missed field goal at the end for the Patriots, Two teams just truly, truly incapable of scoring points against each other. So if it weren't for a world where Patriots-Giants existed, this Panthers-Titans and game would be one of the worst games of the weekend because all four of those teams are four of the eight worst teams in football. Patriots-Giants-Panthers-Titans, four of the eight worst teams in football. But Bryce Young found himself with two and a half minutes to play down seven, no timeouts, needing to go the length of the field, which I don't really... I didn't watch the game. It was just popping up on the red zone. How did the Panthers have no timeouts with two and a half minutes left to play in the game? Like, that seems a little early for them to be burning the timeouts, but maybe maybe that was the game plan that they went for and they forced a, a punt or something. I, I don't know how they got to Turk Cousins' purgatory, but I know it was with two and a half minutes to go, first and ten for the Panthers... And then it was fourth and six for the Panthers. And then Bryce Young threw a screen pass that got tackled one yard behind the line of scrimmage. And I just felt impossibly sad for Bryce Young watching the Panthers throw a fucking screen pass on fourth and six. I was also watching the the Texans and Steeler, uh the or, sorry the Steelers and Bengals, and then the Texans and Jaguars game. And on the CBS bottom line, it kept showing the stats for the Panthers Titans game, and it said that the Panthers' leading receiver for most of the game was someone named Jonathan Mingo. I have no idea who Jonathan Mingo is, but Jonathan Mingo, or as I like to call him Jonathan Singo and ready to Mingo, was the leading receiver for the Carolina Panthers just seems impossibly sad right now in Carolina and it ended with an impossibly sad screen pass with two minutes to go that went four and out when they were trying to run a two-minute drill to win the game so so sorry to make fun of you but Bryce Young you get the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for week 13. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday here on the show. Our friend Razor Rosenthal is hopefully going to join us to break down some more of the college football results and the the. Essentially, quarterfinal playoff game that was Michigan-Ohio State and the quarterfinal playoff game this weekend between Oregon and Washington. It'll all be very fun and very exciting, and uh, we'll have some fun content pieced together throughout the week. Also, the Mixies Awards, our annual celebration of NFL teams 9 through 24, who are all basically the same and all basically have a punter's chance of making the playoffs We'll celebrate that later on this week as well. Thanks for stopping in. Leave a five-star review, a download. Any and all support is greatly, greatly appreciated. We will talk to you again later this week. And in the meantime, take it easy.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.